Learn to code, build apps, inspire the next generation. Welcome to the Swift App School podcast, where we are empowering the next generation of app developers. I'm Charles Long, co-founder of Swift App School. And I'm Bob Williams, co-founder of Swift App School. All right, Bob, how are you today? Doing pretty well. Uh, yeah, we're usually recording on a on a morning, but we're actually recording at night this time, so it's a little different. I'm past my bedtime now. <laughs> so. Yeah, if we start wandering off to Never Never Land, uh, <laughs> this is episode five of the Swift App School podcast, and we got a couple of topics to discuss tonight. Bob's going to talk about the Apple Watch app development that he's doing and tinkering with at this time. And I'm going to talk about Apple's ecosystem, aka the walled garden. And then we'll end the episode with something cool. With that said, do you want to jump right into iOS and Mac development? Well, first, let me just say go dogs because my Georgia Bulldogs finally won a national championship after 41 years. So I had to just say that uh, to start off the episode. So I have been working on, as far as iOS goes, I've been working on a watch app. I have the new seven series app uh, watch now. And um, yeah, the seven series watch is really nice. It's so super fast. I had the series two before and it was getting so slow and sluggish that I had to upgrade (laughs) finally. And now I want to make a watch app, especially with SwiftUI and just started into a project was inspired by another podcast. Uh, I heard somebody's story about the importance of having just tiny habits throughout the day. And I said, you know, I could make a little watch app for that. That would be nice. And I want people to be able to customize it so they can, you know, put in their own habits and whatever they want to do, you know, after work or certain days of the week, build it into your schedule. But the gist of it is just small little mini habits that, well, you know, even if it's just two push-ups, you know, after you finish work or two push-ups as soon as you wake up in the morning or something like that, just some goals that you know you can attain, but will help you. And so that's the gist of it. I've already started. I actually have a little prototype on my watch now that I've put it on, you know, run it on the watch. I mean, it's nothing special, but it's, it's somewhat interactive. I watched a series of videos. If you've ever, we talk about a different, lots of resources on the show, but if you've never watched a Stanford lecture, you ought to go to that. Um, because especially if you have been coding in Swift for a while, uh, if you're more advanced, I would recommend, it's not really a beginner's course, but if you're, you know, if you have, if you've had some time in Swift, I would recommend going to that Swift UI course Paul Haggerty teaches. It's the it's the spring 2021. So async await is not in there, but there's a lot of really good lectures. I actually watched it on at two times speed. <laughs> so I was just, you know, I was I did not touch my Xcode while I watched the lectures. I really just soaked it all in because I just said, wow. And then I'm gonna, and then I went back and referenced um, you know a couple of different parts, but you know, it's like, I've been working in Swift UI for a long time and I haven't really used lazy V grids or H grids at all. Um, so that was cool just to kind of like, Oh yeah. I don't, you know, I don't know why I haven't used that, <laughs> so, but I haven't. So it's kind of nice to just 
uncover some things like that. You know, I'm, I've used a little bit of combine, but not a lot. Uh, so, you know, that's just, it's just the more examples that you see, the more possibilities that you, you think about. But I will go back to what I said in other episodes that you've got to start your own projects. That's where the learning really happens because you can get in that tutorial trap like everybody talks about. And uh, I've been there, done that. And sometimes you just have to start a project to start learning. So that's what I've been doing lately. And it's been a lot of fun and I'm, I'm learning a lot and just ready to put something on the app store. So maybe this time next year, it'll be up. We'll see. Yeah. First I'll address your app. I think that's a great idea about the habits because I just started getting new ideas as I was thinking about it. And I was just trying to figure out, okay, if I was to use this app, what would I Mm -hmm. like to see as a feature as a user? And I thought about it, you know, they say that if you repeat something seven times, it becomes a habit. And so you could almost do what Apple does with their fitness app and reward them with, uh, what do you call it? Celebrations or like yeah. the notifications that pop up and say, congratulations, you've repeated this habit seven times or whatever. You probably thought yeah. about some of these ideas. I have. I have. <laughs> so, yeah. That's a good idea. I like that. I want to build in, you know, a, a nice screen where you can see your progress over time. Um, so you can kind of look at it on a on a year to year basis and a month to month, week to week you know, kind of, so you just have a chart where you can kind of measure your progress, kind of like the fitness app does. I mean, similar to that, I can use that as inspiration, but also want to make it my own thing. So I don't want to be too bound by, you know, too many apps out there already. I kind of just want to make it something that I create and then be inspired by other things as well. Are you, um, well, I'm assuming you're making an iOS app as well. To- well, you know, I kind of started, I started the project as only a watch kit because I kind of just wanted to do only watch, but I'm probably going to go back and add the iPhone. You know, my daughter said the same thing. Like, I'd like that on the phone, you know, so I'm probably just going to go ahead and make it, make it an iPhone watch kit app together. Uh, that would make more sense. And how much is it? <laughs> uh, it'll be free I'll oh just, good I'm, I'm gonna download it <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i'm just gonna make it for i'm just gonna put it out there it'll be my first official app so you'll yeah. have you'll have 20 million downloads <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> <laughs> i'm just gonna make it free i might even open source it who knows cool i think that's a great idea i definitely could benefit from having something that helps me with habits because i think it's about accountability and it's the same idea with the fitness apps and the diet apps. You know, I think with Nintendo try this years ago with their, um, I guess it was the Wii balance board, you know, basically as a scale. And, but you can also use it as a game piece. So you can use it as a, as a like you can stand on and do your, you know, yoga or whatever. There, yeah. And they, their point was, well, we know that it's not, uh, a professional exercise equipment, but it's mm-hmm. great for accountability. That's really what they were trying to achieve is to get people to think about exercise for your app. It's the same idea that like really a watch app is going to make me have better habits, but it's really about yeah. accountability. The same, you know, example that is given for fitness apps. I think that goes right along with the habits. I don't know if anyone has ever done a habit app 
Well, it's funny that you said that because the author of Tiny Habits was on a podcast recently and he was talking about his book. He uh, taught at Stanford for years. So anyway, I looked it up and sure enough, he had an app, although the apps, the ratings were like two point something. The reviews were pretty bad. So Mm. (laughs) I just said, well, you know, I'm not I'm not going to completely do what he did, but I'm just going to, you know, I just was kind of inspired by his story and I'll probably read his book and just kind of use that as inspiration. But um, it'll be it'll be a little bit different. Well, I think if your app looks good and appealing when people look at it then yeah. you, that's half the battle. Apps and games alike, they're, they're pretty much the same in that the user interface draws people first. Then the functionality should match. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, sometimes make, people make great apps, but they don't actually work. Or and, I should say they make great apps, but they don't look great or vice versa. They look great, then they don't work. So getting that combination right, I think, is a, is a key. Yeah. And maybe, we, maybe I'll see if you can help me with some of this. <laughs> It's at some point, uh, you know, it's fun kind of do it and on my own just to kind of do it, say, hey, I've done all this. But at the same time, it's always fun to work on a project with somebody else. So I'm thinking I am thinking I might do some animations as well. I'm just, you know, I, I think it would be cool just to have a watch app that has a lot of animations on it. I also thought about a little mini game would be fun to build on the watch. Just, you know, I thought about that game. I don't know if you remembered. This is probably before your time, but I used to have a, a video game, like one of those little handheld before Nintendo, but after Atari, there's a little handheld video game. It was like little dots and it was a football game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they were just playing football and like you would hold one end and your friend would hold the other end and these little dots would go down the field. And I love playing that game and it would be cool to like recreate that on the watch. We're not that different at age. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm a, I'm a little older than you, so... <laughs> <laughs> but you probably know that you may know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I've seen um, those before. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I just thought it would be cool to have something cool, like really old, old school, simple, simple game like that on the watch. Well, it's an achievement. I think that's yeah. really important just to have something, even if you work on a project yourself and you can finish it and, and you don't have pressure to get it done for some reason. I think yeah. that's, I think that's satisfying the app that I was working on for someone else, it was light pressure, but mm-hmm. it was for a nonprofit. And the problem is there's a lot of red tape with nonprofits. So you never really know if funding is going to be there or not. And so you put a lot of effort in, you learn a lot, but uh, things move pretty slow. And mm-hmm. so I think as we've mentioned before, the most important thing is actually finishing a project so you can work on a project so long that you get tired of it. All right, let's talk about Apple in the news. So I saw this article a couple of days ago and the title is Apple uses messages colors to bully Android users, says Google. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, basically, it's one of Google's VPs. So Google vice president was uh, I'm looking at his tweet and he says, Apple's iMessage lock in is a documented strategy using peer pressure and bullying as a way to sell products is disingenuous for a company that has humanity and equity as a core part of its marketing. The standards exist today to fix this. 
And I, I was talking to my wife about this because I didn't know how to take it. I, I understand where they're coming from, because if you talk to young people, you realize there's a lot of young people using iPhones. And apparently what's happening, I was unaware that it was to the level of bullying, but apparently what's going on is kids are bullying other kids because they have green bubbles. <laughs> <laughs> so if you got the blue bubble, you're in the cool crowd. If you got the green bubble, you're not. And I think, you know, Google's trying to call Apple out about this for obvious reasons. You know, if you know the history of this whole messages platform, then you know that there are obvious reasons why Google is taking this stance against Apple. And so I really wanted to take a step back from this and talk about the walled garden, as people call it, because that's typically what people say when they mention that, well, I don't want to be a part of the walled garden. I want freedom. So it's interesting. It's kind of like, well, it is a walled garden. Uh, I admit that. But when you come into the walled garden, you realize you have everything you need. <laughs> and I think that's what irks a lot of the competitors about Apple is they build everything from the ground up, from hardware to software and the integration. And they do it so well, it's hard for people to walk away from it. And so I don't think Apple can... I mean, I don't think that Apple needs to stay quiet if there's bullying going on. I don't think that's the right message, pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's interesting that this sort of thing is happening. I think people bully over whatever they feel like bullying over. But I just never thought, like, really, people are bullying people because they don't have an iPhone. I thought it would have been the other way around, but I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Obviously, it's an issue that's being brought up and people are looking into it. Even uh, I think the... Uh, I think the lawmakers are starting to look into it. So I'm like, really? <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't know if I really buy it because I mean now when you look at all the products that Apple has, you've got iPods, you've got all kinds of like price points. And it's not it's not that it's not a thousand dollar phone. <laughs> I mean, that people, you know, you can get a phone for no, next to nothing now with with all the plans that are out there like Verizon and um, you know AT and T they've got plans for families now where you're you're paying next to nothing for iPhones so I don't see that argument. Well, I think the argument is that if you don't have an iPhone, when you message someone, then you know the person who doesn't have an iPhone they have green bubbles. So that's how they're identified if you message them. I don't know if you pay attention to well, that. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I know what you're saying, but I, it's just, I don't, it almost makes it seem like, oh, these people can't afford an iPhone. That's why they're getting bullied. And I don't, I don't really understand that. Like it's a status thing. And I don't even know if price is the real driving force. I think it's just, they're like, hey, we're cool. We have iPhones and you have an Android because you have a green bubble. <laughs> uh, yeah well they didn't even mention price but i just it, it was just shocking to me like really people are bullying people over this like <laughs> yeah it just seems like there's another way to to solve that if if bullying really is going on over over you know green and blue i don't i don't really know if the answer is apple needs to say something i mean it's not well, a, it's not to me it's not it's not an Apple thing. It's not a, it's not something that they really need to speak out against. It's something that I'm not really sure how you handle that exactly, but 
It seems well, it seems kind of like a minor issue that Google's trying to make a major issue. Well, the thing is, they are a lot of the competitors, mostly you know from the Android side, are saying that Apple should change the way that they make messages so that it accepts their format, so that there's not a difference. They're all you know, there's no difference, and people won't feel you know left out of the crowd or whatever. They won't feel that they are being ostracized because they have an Android device. The message shouldn't be two different colors. That's what they're saying. And they say, Apple can fix this if they just adopt our standard. But I want to uh, talk about this because lawmakers get involved and they don't understand the technology. So they're saying, yeah, Apple, why are you doing that? Why don't you just support this other? Well, if you, there's a couple of links I'll put into the description. But basically, it goes back to the fact that SMS and MMS are pretty antiquated. So SMS is your regular text messaging. It's been around since, you know, mid-90s, whatever. And 160 bytes is all you get. And so obviously it's great for flip phones and the older devices where you just send text messages and, you know, you got those terrible keyboards <laughs> that you click three times to get one letter. I mean, mm -hmm. at that time, it made a lot of sense for, for text. Being in technology, I knew all along, like, why are you paying for this? This is essentially like email. <laughs> <laughs> so I always had my gripes against uh, text messaging. But um, the thing was, Apple was trying to figure out that they're so limited and they're not secure. So mm -hmm. they didn't like the whole SMS. And plus, you're dependent on the carrier for that to work. So basically, everybody was looking at this. And out of that came uh, later came Facebook Messenger, uh, WeChat. Uh, there's a lot of solutions that have come out of it. But the problem is that everybody wants to use whatever product they like. So in international countries, WeChat is like major, like that's the number one platform for mess messaging in other countries. And then you've got WhatsApp. WhatsApp is owned by Facebook and Facebook Messenger is another option. So which one do you use? Now you have two platforms. And if they were one, do you trust Facebook as your one platform that you're going to do messaging over? <laughs> so this no. is what was pointed out. <laughs> this is what's pointed out is like, well, if there was only one, who controls it? And so everybody was basically coming up with their alternative method of SMS. MMS is where you can do multimedia. So it's a little bit better than you can do some videos and the larger files. Well, Apple, of course, they said, well, we're going to make our own. So in 2011, they launched iMessage and the messaging app um, just uses the iMessage protocols and it works over the internet, but they added all these features to it because they said, well, SMS is not secure. So we're going to make it encrypted. So it's end to end encryption. So if I, if I send you a message is fully encrypted, they wanted to have typing indicators, which I love. I can see if you're, if somebody's responding, like if I text you and you don't respond, I figure you're probably busy. Or if I'm texting my family, my daughter, whoever, I need to see if they're texting me back just to know if I need to pay attention to that or not. That's kind of cool. Mm -hmm. The quick reactions like thumbs up or whatever, the read receipts, location sharing, all this stuff Apple <laughs> added so that they could, you know, basically advance messaging above SMS and MMS. And it works over the internet. So it's not it's not dependent on the carrier. So the Apple didn't say, if we build this amazing platform, we can keep Android users off of it. It wasn't really that way. They just wanted to incorporate all these great features. And basically, you know, in the United States, apparently, according to MKBHD, 75% of the young people are using iPhones. So 
I didn't know that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, you know, iMessage seems to be one of those nails in the wall garden that keeps people inside of it. And and so it's interesting because one of the problems Android has is they tout freedom, which I actually love when it comes to having flexibility on your phone. I had Android phones, you know, before I had an iPhone. I enjoyed the flexibility. But the one of the problems is the uh, basically like, fragmentation. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. you end up having, so think about it. Samsung basically makes their own copy of the default apps. And this is one argument that, that uh, MKBHD made on his YouTube channel is that a lot of people would just use the default apps that are on their phone. So if you have a Samsung phone, you've got Samsung's messaging. You also have the default messaging and then you've got Samsung pay and then you got Android pay and then you've got, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so yeah. You, as a user, you have to figure out what to use, and then you have to hope that other people are using the exact same platforms. And Apple just makes this simple. You only have messages, which is running the iMessage protocol, and it just works. So that's the first kind of staple of Apple's wall garden that I wanted to talk about. I don't know if you have any thoughts about iMessage specifically, but that's kind of where I started. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I was thinking with iMessage is I just remember the early days of iMessage and being on my iPod Touch before I had, I think I had a Droid phone, but I had an iPod Touch and I would use messages on that and loved it. And I think part of what made messages so popular is because of the software, Uh, because of the interface that Apple built on the touch devices. It was so much better than anything else out there. And they really invented the messages before anybody else had even thought about it. Um, I mean, there were other SMS out there, but it wasn't as elegant and the software was not as amazing as messages. And so that's where they won. And it's kind of like with iTunes, they won with iTunes the same way because of the software. And so that's, that's kind of what I think about messages. And I don't know. I just think Google's being nitpicky and just trying to find a reason to <laughs> to make to put more pressure on Apple, essentially, so that the government will go after them. But I don't really agree with what they're saying. Yeah. So it's not just messages. Obviously, there's other things that you know. I have these conversations with people. There's been times when I walk into a conversation and I hear, oh, Charles is here. He can explain why the iPhone is way better than Android. And I'm like, oh, great. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this guy's going to hate me. and I haven't even started talking yet. (laughs) I've had some conversations where I walked up and I had to like, okay, let me lay down some groundwork first. I'm an IT guy. I know what I'm talking about. I've, (laughs) I've used every single platform and every single computer and laptop and operating system. So what I'm going to say, don't dismiss it. And then I start talking about some of the things that I like about the Apple ecosystem. And then I talk about things that I like about the Android operating system. And we'll talk about the Android side another day, but today is basically Apple's ecosystem. So the next one I'll talk about is AirDrop. There's so many times that somebody needs a file transferred. And I remember that Android was touting the phones that could bump with each other. You remember that? I remember that. (laughs) And everybody's like, oh, your iPhone can't transfer, you know, files by bumping the phones together. And I was like, man, that's cool. I really wish they had a way to do that. Because that was one of those things like, well, you know, you've got messages, but we can just bump and our contacts switch over and transfer over and our whatever. And I remember when Apple did their keynote and introduced AirDrop 
And they're like, who wants to touch phones against each other? Why don't you just tap their name and it just automatically just migrates over to the other phone? <laughs> yeah. And it, but you know, <laughs> I really like airdrop because it just works flawlessly. Like you open it up, hit the share button or whatever, and, and whoever's nearby that has airdrop activated, whether it's yeah. they have it set for contacts or everyone, it just shows up and you hit the button and if they accept it, boom, it goes right into their phone, into their uh downloads on a computer or their phone. I love that feature. I use it all the time. Yeah. It's funny how many times you forget about it too. I mean, even as many times as I've used airdrop, I still, sometimes I go, Oh yeah, I can airdrop this. <laughs> you yeah. <know? laughs> you you kind of go back to the, wait a minute, where's my flash drive? What? Wait, oh, airdrop. Yeah. <laughs> the funniest thing is when somebody's like, how do I get this picture over to you? And I'm like, what kind of phone do you have? Android. I'm like, Oh, you're going to have to email or text or <laughs> yeah. then I got to give them my phone number or I've got to uh-huh. give my email address. And then there's a whole nother process. And, yep. um, and then, you know, if I have an iPhone nearby, I'm like, let me just click airdrop and boom, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And so that's another one of those things I like. Airplay is another one. So yeah, the, the fact that you can, and at this point with the latest operating system, I think you can airplay with anything. So basically I can take my phone and hit airplay and project it to my computer. So yep. whatever's on my phone can I can show the exact screen on my computer because I think Mac OS Monterey allowed that. The most common use, obviously, is from your computer to an Apple TV. AirPlay has been great. Ever since I got an Apple TV, I've been using that a lot. And so it's been great. The only thing I will say is the Bluetooth still has some issues with some of the like Beats headphones, like accidentally, you know, oh, wait a minute, I just turned on my headphones and now I'm listening to my daughter's phone or you know, vice versa. That happens in a house of more than two people or even mm-hmm. with two people. So I think they need to work out some kinks there. Well, I think they are because I've watched a couple of videos about Apple changing the way that they, it gets really technical, but apparently yeah. they don't like, I don't think they like Bluetooth. Yeah, <laughs> I think there's limitation with Bluetooth and they have because Apple has their their other chips like yeah. uh, they have the U1 and W1. I always forget which what which chip does what, but they have their old chips that help with spatial audio and mm-hmm. all those other things. There's other chips involved. And so they utilize Wi-Fi, Bluetooth and their own chips to do to to basically allow you to interact with their devices. I think another one of the advantages in the ecosystem is Siri. And people like to give Siri a lot of flack, but you have to remember Siri was essentially the first digital assistant of its type. And it was the first, you know, artificially intelligent assistant on a device. People thought it was kind of a a fad when it first came out and they laughed about it. Now it's, it's pretty much commonplace. There's Alexa, there's Google, I guess they have their, I don't know exactly what they call it, but I know their Google home stuff. But it's not a joke anymore. Like everyone else seems to be passing Apple as it comes to those assistants. And talking about Siri in depth is another conversation for another day because there's a whole reason why Siri is not on par with Amazon's Alexa or with Google's Mm -hmm. solution. Obviously, Google is Google. And so when you search with Google, you know, everybody's going to get the result that they want. You know, if you use the Google uh, search engine, you know that. And Amazon's gotten pretty 
good at, at uh, listening to everybody's conversations. <laughs> <laughs> so they're very good at improving their algorithms based on that data that they collect from this customer. So Siri was recording some information without consent and they got in trouble for it. So now they have the prompt that you tell it whether or not you want your recordings <laughs> sent to <Yeah>. them. <laughs> um, I'm like, come on, Apple, just, just be honest about it. Everybody else is doing it. <laughs> That's right. In that sense, like they wanted to improve Siri. And the only way to do that is to analyze recordings and, and make your AI better. But anyway, I threw Siri in there because I thought, it was a groundbreaking technology when it came out on the, what, 5S, iPhone 5S, I think was the first to have Siri. Now all their devices do. FaceTime, kind of like messages is another one of those that same idea that I know people that personally went out and got iPhones, got rid of their Android phones just so they could FaceTime their family. Mm-hmm. And again, it's like, well, can't you just use Google Duo? Yeah, you can use Google Duo or you could use Skype before that, but Microsoft moved away from Skype. Now the Teams where you could use some of the other solutions. Like I think before Duo, Google had some other solution. I can't remember what it was before, but like basically these companies keep bringing out new versions of software that people can't be on a consistent platform. And that's one of the issues that everybody that communicates with you have to have the same devices (laughs) or they have to have the same, not the same devices, but they have to have the same software in order to communicate with you. And so I thought one of the things that was great is that Apple, as of last year, added FaceTime. What do they call it? FaceTime sharing. So you mm-hmm. can I can invite non-Apple devices to the call and they can yeah. do FaceTime. So that's really cool. They're trying to compete with Zoom. So they allow you to make a public link. So I invited my mom, uh, who has an Android phone, and my sister, and we were all on a video chat. I thought that was really cool. Apple Music. Obviously, it was iTunes first and Spotify came along and gave Apple a scare and Apple went out and said, "Okay, we got to get serious about this streaming. Everybody seems to be heading that direction. So we'll we'll just scoop up beats for what was it? Four billion dollars or whatever they paid uh, Dr. Dre for it. Pretty nice deal. Yeah, he was happy about it. And they got a platform they didn't have to start from scratch on. And and so another piece of that wall garden that allows them to you know, everything's right there readily available for you to use. I'm wondering if the AirPods would have been as big if they didn't have the Beats brand. Like, I I just feel like, I mean, I think they probably would have, but it would have been different with Beats competing against Apple with AirPods. Would have been a lot different. Yeah, I think it benefited both sides because Apple didn't have cred when it came to sound. I have mm-hmm. to believe that the reason why their speakers on a computer are better than any other speakers in any laptop is because of that purchase. I could yep. be wrong about that, but I feel like they brought talent in that really understands sound. I mean, anybody would tell you Mac or PC fanboys that the MacBook Pro's speakers are better than everything else. I mean, it's not even close. And I have to believe it had to be the engineers they brought in or some of the musical minded people that that wanted to focus on that. And I think you're right, because even the Beats have benefited from having Apple's chips in them, like mm-hmm. the W1 chip, yeah, and vice versa. I think the sound on the AirPods are really good. And I made the mistake you made, by the way. I went to Best Buy one day and listened to the AirPods Max, <laughs> oh, AirPods yeah. Pro Max. Yeah. I uh, shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Man, sounds great, doesn't it? <laughs> it's oh, just my goodness. Trying to fork over that much money. It's no, like, ooh. I, I can't see spending that much money. No. Uh, maybe if... 
if I get <laughs> enough money racked up on my Apple cash and then somebody gives me a couple gift cards and then I have to, I only have to pay a hundred bucks for it. Maybe, I don't know, but Ooh, yeah. my grandfather would, <laughs> I can just hear my grandfather now going, what <laughs> for a headphone? <laughs> oh yeah. They're expensive, but they're so nice and sleek. I mean, they know how to make something look beautiful and sound. It sounds, they sound good. I've heard better, you know, headphones, but I just think they sound really, really good. They do make you think about it. So I think that's what they want. It's, just, it's that status symbol. Mm-hmm. And then I want to talk about the other devices that kind of tied all this together. The Apple TV, the AirPods, the HomePod, all of these allow you to basically connect seamlessly across your devices. So, I mean... That's the thing about the ecosystem is I'm on my phone typing up a text message and I want, and I'm like, okay, this needs to be on the computer. I'm typing a lot. Or if I'm on a website or I'm on an email or I'm on anything and I just want to switch over, I can just easily switch it over to my computer. And then going back to this point, people can argue, well, you can do that with Android, but you have to use so many different apps to achieve the same thing. And so there are no other accounts. You basically make an iCloud account and you get all of these things for free. As long as you have an iCloud account, you can interact with every device. I like some of the simple things like copy-paste. So I can copy something on my iPhone, paste it on my computer. I use that a lot. There's just so many things. I could go on much longer, but these are some of the things that I wrote down that I really appreciate about the ecosystem. And the, the cool part about all this is the, one of the last features that they demonstrated at the WWDC keynote last year with Mac OS Monterey, they let you have the continuity extended out to, I forgot what they call it, but basically you can just take your keyboard and mouse and move it over to your iPad. Wow. Yeah, that, so you, that feature, I remember when that was featured on the video. I've forgotten what it's called too, but and it's, it's not, amazing. It's amazing to see that in action. Yeah, and it's not extending your desktop like, oh, my iPad's another no. screen. No, it, the yeah. iPad is still the separate iPad. It's just yeah. taking your mouse and dragging yeah. it from your Mac over yeah. to your iPad. It's still the iPad separately, yeah. but you can grab a file and drag it back yeah. over to the Mac and drop it. Yeah. <laughs> that is so cool. It is so cool. It's like some kind of magic. <laughs> yeah. And so like the workflow, real world example is you're a graphic designer, you draw something on your iPad mm-hmm. and then you want to transfer it over. Well, yeah, you can airdrop it, but they're like, nah, we'll go one step easier. Yep. Just take your mouse and, you know, drag it over to the iPad and drag that file straight onto your computer into Photoshop and continue editing it. I mean, that's so cool. That is. But I mean, I think there's so many things. These are, this is just the tip of the iceberg of the things that you can do. And once you get in with an open mind and actually learn how to use all this stuff together, then you realize how much work you put in to try to use an Android phone. And, and again, I say I, I like Android in the way they do things in terms of flexibility. And if you're a tinkerer, you're going to love those things. But for me, at the end of the day, I work in technology and I work, for, I work in an IT field as my day job and I have to support people. And typically I give them an Apple product and they go away (laughs) because everything just works together so seamlessly. And, you know, just trying to be open-minded about it. I look at people, they are in my office every day asking questions and then you give them an iPhone or, or give them a MacBook and they don't come back. It's like, well, (laughs) 
you gotta you gotta give Apple credit for the way they've built that that wall and they want to protect that wall. Mm-hmm. And so they just have to be wise. I think some of the things they've done as far as allowing Apple Music on Android was smart. Allowing FaceTime on Android was smart. If they did Apple Messages, I don't know. I feel like that would not be beneficial. But I don't know. They could do that. I don't know. Well, and you know, one thing we didn't really talk about was the App Store. But the App Store has been huge um, right. for their wall. And I'm wondering, with all the government talk and the spotlight on all these tech companies, I'm hoping that the App Store, I I know it's going to change, but I'm hoping that it doesn't change so much that it just becomes the Wild West uh, for apps. And I I worry about that um, because right now, you know, uh, Apple really is protecting people from pretty bad viruses that could be on your phone and things like that. Yeah, they're vetting everything. And I think the lawmakers are flexing their muscle like, yeah, you guys are too big. And they I just want them to be knowledgeable. I want them to be informed before they just make decisions because they think that, that tech is too big. And I get big tech. Like I think we talked about this before. They, they can be too big. I think there are cases mm-hmm. where they're overstepping their boundaries. But I just want to make sure when you regulate a company like this, that you don't do it for political reasons, but you do it for the greater good of the people. And I don't know that, especially after watching some of these hearings, I'm not exactly sure I have confidence in the decisions that (laughs) they're making sometimes. So, but I agree that, I mean, Apple and Google both really understand how important it is for you to vet your apps. And I definitely want to talk about this another day, but Epic, maker of Fortnite and Unreal Engine, they have basically sued Apple and Google. Don't want to go into the full story, but basically that's playing a part in this whole big tech needs to be regulated and they need to, you know, allow other app stores or whatnot on their platforms. I don't really agree with that. I do think that there are times when Apple and Google can do some antitrust things that need to be put back into place, but yeah, I think they're willing to do it. I think everybody just has to stay honest <laughs> and mm-hmm. not overstep their bounds and, and uh, allow for the developer to come up and, and thrive and not just try to push them out of the way. So, you know, I, I really appreciate the ecosystem and I, I finalize this part of my conversation by saying I do work in IT. So I have a part of my work that an Apple device is not allowed. And that's my server room. So for people mm-hmm. to think, oh, he's a fanboy. No, <laughs> when it comes to my server environment, there are no Apple computers in the mix. <laughs> All of that is, you know, Dell PowerEdge and, you know, infrastructure is, you know, rock solid and all that. But when it comes to my personal devices, I just like the ecosystem it makes everything so much easier for me. And when it comes to tinkering, doing robotics and doing like Wi-Fi and hacking stuff, well, that's where I like my Android. And my PC, I think that's where, and gaming, of course, gaming on the PC. I think that's kind of where you draw the line between the companies. And I think if people understand that, then they can really understand where each product is best used. All right. So for our something really cool section, I heard a podcast recently uh, with the developer of 
uh, Camo Studio. It was on uh, the recent launched version podcast with Charlie Chapman, his podcast, and um, you can find it there. We can put the link in the show notes. But uh, the num- name of the company is Reincubate, and the developer created Camo Studio. And I downloaded it as me- immediately and tried it on the Zoom, and it was pretty cool. It's got even, you know, it's got some nice little cool little filters you want to use, but it also just defaults to 720p if you want to pay for the paid version. You know, you can use 1080p and higher. So that's pretty nice that. Even the, you know, I even looked at it in the lifetime, like if you want to just own the app for the life of the app, it's like $79. So it's not unreasonable in price. I don't think they tried to, you know, price gouge here um, like some companies do. So I, I thought, I don't know, I was impressed. And they turned it around during COVID pretty quickly. I think they said like six months they had it on the iPhone already. <laughs> and they, yeah, and I mean, he, he, he paved the way for Zoom. Zoom was not allowing anybody any third parties to use anything. And he kind of paved the way for everyone else who's using them now, all these other apps that are on Zoom. So I thought he existed before Zoom. I he, thought I downloaded it before. He then. may have. Yeah. I, I can't remember the exact story, but I know that I think what the way he, the way he made it sound is that it really took off kind of, it was kind of perfect timing with COVID. Um, but he, I mean, they definitely did it because of COVID. Um, so it was in response to the zoom calls, but it was, yeah. You mean Maybe the illness? Were, well, well, yeah, I mean the illness, <laughs> but it was in response to everybody, you know, being shut down and on zoom calls all the time. So yeah. I'm laughing because I was watching a podcast the other day or, or a YouTube channel and the guy kept calling it something else. And I was like, why are you, why is he doing that? Yeah, I was like, oh, I didn't know that YouTube will strike your channel if you talk about COVID because they feel like it's missing information. So, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so everybody's making up their own words to talk about. One guy oh, said yeah. the illness, one guy the said illness. lockdown. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Interesting times we live in. Yes, it is. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Swift App School podcast. You can always find us online at swiftappschool.com. And we're also on social media at Swift App School on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Facebook. Bye, y'all. Goodbye.